Welcome to the Shelf Made Podcast, your weekly snackable size podcast for the consumer packaged good industry. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Shelf Made Podcast. We took the week off last week, uh, but we're back with a brand new episode this week. Great guests with Adam Pollock over at Rodeo CPG. Uh, we're tackling a big issue today, uh, really diving into uh, an issue that I see a lot of brands mishandle early, and that's developing who their customer really is, identifying what those customer personas are, and who's the actual customer that they're building their brand for, and then anchoring that customer in every single decision you make. And doing this early on, having this conversation, spending the days, the weeks, the months that it takes to really drill down on who this customer is, and then constantly coming back to it and bringing attention to it and making sure that you're staying aligned with your original vision and proving that out, that's what good brands do. And I think that it's so pivotal. I see it's a mistake that a lot of our brand partners make in terms of not really uh, fleshing out who their exact customer persona is, who the customer is that's purchasing this, this product, and who's going to be the champion of their product for years to come. And I think Adam was a great person to have on. He handles all the content, a ton of stuff over at Rodeo CPG, and he's been a valuable asset um, to us uh, and to me personally uh, over the last year and was excited to get him on the podcast uh, to talk about his ideas and his thoughts on building out customer personas and identifying who the right customer is for your product and just how important that is for your brand. So without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode of the Shelf Made Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Shelf Made Podcast. Very excited to have Adam Pollock, uh, the head of content at Rodeo CPG on. Uh, I've known Adam for a little bit over a year now. Um, he's been a great resource for us as we've continued to build WeStock, and I was very excited to have him on the podcast this week. So thanks, Adam, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I uh, would love if we can just dive in a little bit about your background, but also what is Rodeo CPG and, and how do you help brands? Yeah, sure. So I'll start at the beginning. About seven or eight years ago, I took the entrepreneurial leap and started my first CPG company. I was deep into a paleo diet at the time, and it was interesting. That no one was I, was, I was eating a lot of riced and spiralized vegetables, but, but no one was packaging that up, doing it with organic vegetables and making it very simple for the consumer, even though there was a, a ton of demand out there when you looked online for recipes featuring that sort of thing. So that my first company was, was Joy Loop and it was really centered around doing interesting things with vegetables to kind of scratch an itch that I had with my paleo diet at the time. And that sort of ran the way of most food and beverage businesses. It just kind of hit a wall and, and there, there were a couple other much larger players who came in to do that. And, and it was just clear that, that we weren't positioned the right way to do it. So at around that time, I actually... I was super interested in e-commerce, but my products were very perishable. So I, I decided to you know, kind of just stop what I was doing and refocus. And, and that was this around the same time that, that Amazon had bought Whole Foods. So to me, that was the writing on the wall that, that food was moving to e-commerce in a big way. So the, the, the next brand I started was called Earth Table. It was centered around doing interesting things with spices, making exotic spices more approachable to home cooks. And that was really focused on, it was, it was basically built for Amazon. So non-perishable product, high price point, it was pretty low weight, 
it was it was basically if you started from scratch and said I, I want I want something to work inside the confines of Amazon, that was it. So I, I that business ran its course as well. That that category in Amazon was just was just small, and and despite having a, a really good listing and uh, things being optimized, there just wasn't enough traffic there. And at around that time, the second crossroads, uh, I got reconnected with Zach, the founder of Rodeo. And we started kind of thinking through some needs for, for Rodeo's business and landed on this idea of content. So uh, before I dive into what I do for Rodeo, just a little bit more about what Rodeo is. We help growing brands with growing pains pretty, pretty simply. So we work with uh, 50 plus emerging food and beverage, consumer packaged goods brands across three main areas, specifically R&D, product development, sales, and operations. And we have a variety of different solutions and services to help brands across those three fronts. And my role is, is really kind of taking that past experience of starting two different CPG companies in two different spaces and talking to a bunch of founders out there, a bunch of people in the CPG community and creating tools and resources and lists and anything that you can think of that helps people along on that journey. So it's, it's kind of just bottling up not only the wisdom that, that I don't even know if it's wisdom that I, I, I gained, but uh, the lessons learned that I gained, the lessons learned from the Rodeo team and, and getting those out to the community at large so people can get to know Rodeo. And then also we can, we can help uh, more broadly. So that's a little bit more about me, or I should say a lot about me and uh, a little bit more about Rodeo. Yeah. And I'm a member of, this will be a little plug for this Facebook group, but OMG CPG. And like every question that comes up, I just say, Rodeo's done this, right? So it's like, hey, what's the best co-packers? And it's like, well, Rodeo has a great co-packer list. Or it's like, hey, you know, how should I think about, um, you know, my sales team? Well, you know, Rodeo has a great, um, you know, one pager about this. So the content that you're pushing out is just so helpful and so available to these brands. So I definitely urge everyone to check it out because it's just a great resource. And a lot of your questions are already answered um, you know, by the content that Rodeo is pushing out. Yeah, totally. And, and I'll just, I'll throw one more plug out for our content. So we have a blog that's super active, a lot going on in there. I'm actually very active in OMG CPG. So I'm, I'm always trying to answer questions in there. And, um, there's that, that's an awesome group. We just redid our whole kind of email flows and everything. So I'll, I'll give you guys the, the link, but basically we, we kind of catered our emails to where you are in your life cycle. So if you're pre-revenue or you're in your first year or second year, we have a bunch of really helpful email flows that kind of walk you through resources that are, are much more applicable to you. And then we also have a, a general monthly email that we do as well, if you want something a little bit more generic, but we've, we've really tried to think about the different stages of brands and what they need. And rather than having you have to peruse our long list of resources, we're trying to send them to your inbox weekly in, in a, a much, much easier, more curated way. So I'll, I'll give you guys the, the link to that, but um, just a much simpler way to, to get our content and hopefully have it hit you at the time at which it, it makes the most sense. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's a great resource for every founder out there and everybody who has a CPG company. Um, definitely check it out. But today, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, kind of specialties that we could go into with your background, uh, but wanted to chat about how brands can work to define their customers. Um, you know, we work with almost 400 brands here. About 70% of the portfolio is brands that do under a million dollars in sales. And I think a lot of times they go into building their brand with a preconceived notion of this is the customer, right? And the thing, the reason why I think that is because every person who tells me who the customer is, it's the same persona, right? And it's like 25 to 40 female active. And it's like, 
it's very, um, it's very kind of generic. And I think that brands don't drill down exactly on who the persona of the customer is that they're going after and how much that could actually help kind of dictate what their future plan looks like. So would love to know kind of how you approach defining the customers and maybe some of the pitfalls that you see brands take, especially early on. Yeah. So the, the main thing I see is every single brand starts with the product. So that's, that's the easiest thing to do. It's the most fun thing to do. You've got your grandmother's recipe, or you've got some amazing functional beverage that you're cooking up in your kitchen and it's the best thing ever. And you sit there and you do R and D and you, you really like work the heck out of that product to make it awesome. And you never think about the customer until after that product is in market. And then you realize like there's no one there to buy it. And that that's never a good thing. So to me, I, I always tell brands that it's, it's much more important to think about your customer. And, and to your point, Cameron, like not in a broad swath of people. So I, I, I see it all the time. Like we're the X for Gen Z, uh, like the food product X for Gen Z or the, the beverage for millennials. Like you're talking about 10, 20, 30, you know, millions of people that exist in those groups and they're, and they're, it's incredibly diverse. So what I always like to do is like, think about a person. And ideally when you're, you're like starting out, someone you know, and it could even be yourself, and deeply, deeply define the things that make you tick and the pain points that, that exist in your life. And we actually have, we have a customer persona worksheet for this that, that I'll include a link to that's got basically 12 different things you fill out, including like things like actual quotes, actual objections, like people that you, influencers, people you, that, that this person follows. And like I said, a lot of times, like for me, whenever I started a, a business, it was always scratching a personal itch. So I always kind of thought of myself as at least the first persona, because that was just the easiest thing to do. And it's hard to look inward and really think about that, but, but really lay out where that person hangs out and, and kind of what really motivates them and, and what is, what are the things that they struggle with? Cause that's, I, I, I see very few brands doing that very well. And I do look at a lot of investment decks and I, I very rarely see anything around customer personas in them. It's always a, it's some chart that's going up into the right and it's showing some sexy packaging and, you know, it's showing the financials, but that sort of thing I think is, is really important. So starting with a person, an individual, starting with your customer A and not a product, I think is, is key. Starting with a person and not a very, very large group of people is, is the second key. There are a couple of resources that I really like. Um, there's basically superhuman who some of you may know they're, they're a, a platform that's basically trying to take on Gmail with, with a really, really fast email. And they have this whole methodology for uh, how they define and quantify product, product market fit. And it's actually pretty simple. It's basically like if, if 40% of people answer the question, they'd be very disappointed if your product went away tomorrow. That's how you know if you have product market fit. And they bake that into, that's how they got to all the feature sets they got to. That's how they continue to iterate on, on their feature sets. But it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's, there's a, a long YouTube video. And, and if you watch 20 minutes of it, it'll, it'll probably blow your mind. But that, that's a resource I really like. And I point brands to a lot. And then Jordan Buckner over at Food Bevy basically adapted this to food and beverage in a, in a nice like post with worksheets and stuff. So that's what I would, I would strongly recommend checking out in terms of, okay, you do those two things I mentioned, and then how do you actually know if you have product market fit? There, there is a way to quantify it. Most brands think it's like this fuzzy, 
ambiguous thing. It's, it's really not, you, you can wrap your head around whether or not what your product is, is, is the right fit for, for the market. And then once you define your customer persona, you know, let's say the assumption was way off or, or it's actually not really aligning with who you thought, like, how do you, especially in the early stages what brands have you seen or how do you see brands test that out? Is it through, you know, um, checking kind of what their audience looks like on their social media networks? Is it, um, taking surveys while they're doing demos? Like what, yeah. or how are you seeing brands kind of test that out and make sure that they're, um, not just kind of using confirmation bias to, to go and support who they thought their initial customer was. Yeah. Well, so this is another big thing that I, I meant to touch on. It's that like R and D product development is not a one-time exercise. Most brands think, okay, I got, I got three SKUs I want to bring to market. I'm going to make those three SKUs and then I'm done like for, I don't know, maybe a couple of years until I hit the next revenue target I want to get to, or I get into X number of stores. And that's just not the right approach at all. So you really want to bake that R&D process, that, that um, iteration process into the fiber of your company. And that means doing everything you can to get as much feedback as you can. I, I definitely don't think you can just rely on Facebook's algorithm to find your customer. I think this goes back to deeply defining them, testing. And then once, once you have customers, especially through... I understand through, um, if, if, if you're looking at like selling in retail, it's, it's a little tricky unless you're sampling and, and physically talking to them. But assuming you're selling on your website, which these days, most new brands are, you, you have customers, right? And you can reach out to them and you can do things like in an email confirmation, you can do a little like sentiment analysis. So like, did you love your product? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It doesn't need to be a, a super robust, 30 minutes, um, feedback analysis or anything like that. It just, it just needs to capture someone's sentiment at the time. And the more you do that, the more frequently, the less, less detailed you need, you need it to be. And, and the more signal you have. So I'm, I'm a, a very big advocate in a couple of things, not, not relying just to kind of close the loop on this, not relying on Facebook's al algorithm to find your customer. You define that first, then you can plug it into Facebook, test it, see if it works. From there, I think it's the, the key is just weaving in these touch points with your customer as much as possible. Once they've bought something from you, they're much more likely to hear from you again, maybe buy again. And so as a part of that follow-up sequence, you know, you send them monthly emails when you have sales, you can totally send them a very personalized email. And, and I find, especially with young brands, if it's coming from the founder, very receptive, people are very receptive that very high open rates, like a big thank you really appreciate it. Every dollar counts. Would you mind filling out this two question survey about the product? And you'd be amazed. Like, you know, if you're, if you're doing a, a couple hundred sales a month or whatever, a hundred sales a month, you'll probably get five or 10 pieces of feedback. And those are really, really critical. So I, I think I, I don't, um, it, for every brand, it's a little bit different, but it's just about thinking like about once you've made the sale or you've had any touch point with the person or you've, you've collected an email, weaving in this idea of feedback into that journey instead of just pure sales and marketing, which is what every brand does. So that's how I, I, I think about it. And it's easiest, obviously, if you have a, a direct-to-consumer presence and you have an email list. It's also reasonably easy to do on, on Facebook if you have group or if you have a group or people following you or on Instagram, right? Like it's, there's all sorts of things you can do in the channels that you're already in to have that one more touch point. 
Yeah. And I mean, I love like the, what you said about, you know, not limiting yourself early, like, Hey, we're just going to make a few SKUs and, and this is really what we're going to focus on. I think you should be asking the difficult questions, like what other products, what other categories are these customers shopping in? Where else in the grocery store are they heading to? Um, and, and think about long-term and use that customer as an anchor. I think too, it really allows you to sidestep some larger problems in terms of your retail partners, right? Like I see so many brands that just say yes to the first re major retailer that comes to them when really they should be anchoring a lot of their decisions back to that customer persona, right? Does our customer actually shop there? Does the data support us going to the store? Yep. Um, you know, are we going to have decent velocity when we go into the store? Because if you're making decisions just based off of the first retailer that comes to you and it's outside of your playbook and that customer persona um, that you've built out, I think everything just kind of goes into disarray then. And I think you really have to bake out these customer personas and who your customer truly is and keep iterating on it, right? It's not a one-time thing, like you said, yep. um, but make sure that it's anchoring almost every decision you make, right? Like, hey, is this is this what's right for that customer? Um, and not trying to be kind of something for everyone, uh, making sure that you're really drilling down and being that one thing for that correct person. Yeah. And, and that's key, right? You have very limited resources starting out. So you really have to be dialed in around where you're focusing your efforts. And to your point, most brands say yes to everything. And that's actually what crushes them. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other conversation we could have around focusing on the retailers you're in, the stores you're in when you're young and pushing velocity instead of trying to get more stores. We just did a talk on Clubhouse about that. And we have a, a blog post about that. That's something we hammer all the time, but that's a, a different conversation for a different day. The one thing I will say to add an additional layer of complexity on top of this is, you're going to define that customer persona upfront, maybe maybe one, maybe two. I'd recommend one to start if, if you're a young brand. And then you're probably going to be wrong. So this is where you have to, the, the whole feedback loop I'm talking about is really important. And you have to listen. And, and the only way you can listen is if, if you're actively collecting that feedback. Because you're, you're, where you start is very likely not going to be where you end. Either the product's going to change or the customer's going to change, likely both. And you just need to be open to that. And you, and, you, and you need to be not, you can't be precious with your ideas. You need to understand that just because you started with a bar and you end with, a, I don't know, a, a bite or a butter, that's okay. Because if, that, if that's where the market takes you, that's, that's why you're doing this. The, the ultimate goal is, is hopefully that there's like success with your business. And so I think that's, that's the other thing I see a ton, which is, if you do go through this, this road of being product centric and you invest a ton in your product, it's way harder to hit the eject button or to change when you determine, oh shoot, I'm wrong. You, you have this sunk cost fallacy, you keep going. This is what I did with, with my second business and, and a product that I, I spent a ton of money on. Um, so that's, that's like a, a key thing to think about. I'll add one more thing here, uh, just to kind of go back a little bit. One thing that I, I learned the hard way was you should be spending as little money as possible to get as much signal as possible as a young brand. And especially if you're selling in a direct-to-consumer environment, that's easier than ever to do. So you don't even need to make a physical product anymore. You need to make pretty renderings or you need to make one unit and take really awesome photos of it, sell the crap out of it, run some ads against it with this predefined customer and see what happens. See if you can get email signups for a presale. See if you can get people to pre-order it and actually give you money. And obviously, if you, if you don't end up shipping the product, you, you got to refund them. But that was something I did with, 
I, I got burned really badly buying a ton of packaging for a product that I thought was thought made sense and it didn't at all. Um, and it, it basically crushed my first business. And in order to never do that again, I, I decided, okay, I was going to, I was going to basically do the equivalent of making an MVP, but for food products. So give something, people, something to react to. And just because you don't get the signal you want, doesn't mean you have to be done right away, but it's a little bit of an insurance policy and it does, it does test that customer first and that product first before you ever have to do a production run and buy packaging and buy inventory and, and buy all these things that are incredibly expensive and more so than anything costs you a ton of time, right? Like in the, in the old world of, of launching a CPG product, you're talking about six months to a year to get something to market only to find out that it's wrong. In this world, this, this new age world of, of direct to consumer, you can spin up a landing page in a day and have people start reacting to it and, and get the feedback that at least some feedback to help guide you. So I think that that's a key as well is, is leveraging all the digital resources that, that exist out there, and many of which you probably already are in your arsenal if you have an online presence. Yeah, when I, I mean, you know, I, I've essentially made the switch from CPG to tech. Like, you never really heard of MVPs in CPG, and like in tech, you hear it all the time, right? Like, test everything out on a limited basis, get a landing page, you know, get that minimum viable product out, and and test out what. Uh, what's resonating with the customer. And on a CPG, it's like almost like, okay, well, you see all these brands make huge investments on the product side, the design side, and the inventory side uh, without actually establishing the demand for their product. So I think that that's, you know, a really good nugget to take out of this too. Like there's a lot, especially now more than ever that you can do to de-risk, um, you know, that initial launch or any new product launches in the future. Uh, but yeah, Adam, I, I really appreciate this. I think this was a lot of great insights. I'd love if you could kind of let everybody know where they could find you and also find more content on Rodeo CPG. Yeah, so you can find me, well, you can email me at adam at Rodeo CPG. And then I'll, I'll include, uh, we have a, like I said, a, a nice little landing page uh, for, for our, our, our emails. So you can subscribe into kind of where you are in your journey. I'll, I'll include that. Uh, we're at Rodeo CPG on Instagram. We have a clubhouse now that's just Rodeo CPG. Um, so yeah, type in Rodeo CPG into basically LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or clubhouse, and you'll, you'll find me and us. Awesome, Adam. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yep. Thanks, Cameron. I hope everyone enjoyed this week's interview. If you check out the show notes, you'll be able to find all the links and references that Adam brought up during the interview. If you ever have any questions or want to learn more about WeStock, you can check us out at WeStock.io. And now you can check us out on Clubhouse as well. Just search for the Shelf Help group on Clubhouse. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing things like weekly happy hours, uh, interviews with CPG industry leaders, and we're just going to be having a lot of fun building out our network of CPG professionals and super excited to now be on Clubhouse. So check us out and we will be back next week with another great episode.